Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. And beside Feanor, the other children of Finway in birth order included Findis, his first daughter, his second son Fingolfin, Irme, and Finarfin. Welcome back to the uh, Lord of the Rings Lorecast. It takes everything in my being not to record these episodes of this show like that in this, like, I don't know, terrible accent and doing it in a very... Mono- I don't know if that's even monotone, but in a very kind of dry manner. I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. We left off last episode talking about Fanor and the crafting of the Silmarils and the fact that he was known as the greatest of the elves, but his story is not done. We know that things are getting kind of messy here. And as a quick recap, Melkor is out there in Valinor talking amongst the Noldor to Fanor's neighbors, helping teach them things, getting to know them, maybe even putting some rumors and whispers in their ears. Because Melkor is not done. We know. We know he has plans. But Fanor's smart. He's smart enough to know that he can't trust Melkor, at least not directly. But that doesn't mean that those whispers aren't making their ways in other means to his ears. So we start this episode where we left off. And at this point, Feanor has become more and more concerned about the loss of his power. And before we get into why specifically he was concerned, we have to analyze a little bit more about his personality. You see, he's the kind of person who very specifically designed these stones, these gems, in a way where his flaws are obvious. Not the flaws of the gems, not the flaws of the Silmarils, because the Silmarils themselves are basically flawless. Let's talk about that for a moment. I think this needs to be discussed, and this can't be too reduced, I guess, to something as simple as, oh, these are shiny gems that somehow captured the light of the trees. This was a feat that no other elf or Vala had ever achieved and ever would again. This is something that the Valar had attempted to do and could not. And here Fanor was able to achieve this. The light of the trees was their most treasured creation. The trees themselves were the most treasured creation, but the light that they emitted was the highest beauty, the most divine substance on Arda, the very light itself. The idea that the living light of these trees, it was like the closest thing they could get to Iluvatar on Middle-earth, or at least in Valinor, and on Arda. Let's just say Arda. There's a lot of these phrases that you can kind of use interchangeably, but I have to be careful with them because they do have specific meanings. And the Valar 
had attempted to use this energy for other things. It helps with growth. It helps with life. It's, it is life. And yet they couldn't take that energy from the trees and move it to other places. It was confined to the trees and then came out to the living creatures and was used for those living creatures to grow. This was the light of life itself. And the fact that Fanor was able to devise gems of a substance that he would not disclose to anyone else that was able to capture this living light inside of so that he could take that light with him wherever he wanted was a feat that was unmatched ever in the history or in the future of everything. And Fanor knew it. So he did not tell anyone the recipe. He did not tell anyone what substance these were made out of. He did not tell anyone how to replicate it, the means with which to do it, where he got the materials. None of this. And on top of it, he flaunted this for everyone to see because he was proud. But he also wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he was the one who mastered this. There's pride in a positive way, right? The, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of doing something and being proud of yourself, a surmounting of an obstacle. And then there is pride in the negative sense, the thing that we should fear, the biblical sin side of pride. And that hangs on the edge of a knife to use a, <laughs> a Tolkien-esque quote. <laughs> and that's where Feanor walked with this. And the rumors that were making it to Feanor's ears from Melkor were that Fingolfin, the second oldest son of Finway, was vying for his birthright to be the next in line to the crown of the Noldor. And in order to do that, he was also coming for the Silmarils. And what's funny about this is that it wasn't Fingolfin who wanted the Silmarils. It was Melkor. But the seeds had been laid. And this is the story where we're coming back for this episode. Now, what happens when you're afraid that somebody's going to come for your things? Well, you become reclusive, and we've talked about that. But you also start to defend yourself, or at least prepare to defend yourself. And so for the first time in Valinor... Elves were crafting weapons, and Feanor was a craftsman, and he was arming himself, and those who would defend him and work for him, the majority of whom were his sons. By this point, he had married, and he had seven sons who would stand with their father, whom they loved, and defend him. And this is where he was called to explain himself. Basically, for the first time in the history of anything, he was being accused of being a disturber of the peace. <laughs> Another Tolkien phrase that comes from the movie. Um, but there was an issue here. The Valar had realized that, you know, looking down from their mountains and the other important things that they were doing, that in the city right underneath their noses, something was amiss, right? And they discussed it with him. And they, they basically were like, 
what is going on. And he gave them a testimony. And they knew what this sounded like. They knew what was going on here. They've smelled this before. It was Melkor's cooking. (laughs) And his lies, his deceit were underneath all of this. And you know who was ready? Tolkis. Immediately, he left in order to seek out Melkor. But Melkor knew that his time was nearing an end for him to be walking freely around Valinor. And he left. And he found a place to hide. And Tolkis did not discover him. But even though all of this was laid because of the groundwork of Melkor's lies and his manipulations, they still came down hard on Feanor. Feanor was the one who took up the crafting of weapons and the inciting of what could have become potential violence of elves against other elves. So the Valar banished Feanor and his sons to a place called Ferminos. Now, Ferminos was outside of the city of Tyrion. I don't think I've said that word yet. The city of Tyrion was the capital city. It's the, the main city in Valinor. It's where most of the regular business was done. It's where all the elves came to do their stuff. A lot of them lived. Some of them lived on the outskirts of the city. Some of them lived in the center of the city. There's more details about that that we can go into in the future. None of that's super important, other than the fact that Feanor and those who would stand with him were banished to a stronghold city named Ferminos, which was outside of Tyrion. And the most important detail here is that Fanor's father, Finway, took his side on this and went with him. And this was a big deal. Finway was making a statement here, so much so that until Feanor was brought back from exile, Finway was renouncing his kingship of the Noldor. I mean, that's a big deal. He was basically saying... I disagree with this stance. I disagree with this judgment from the Valar. I too will go into exile and I am no longer the king of the Noldor until you reverse this judgment. So the kingship of the Noldor did in fact pass down to Fingolfin. And so Feanor, Finway, Feanor's sons were all removed from the city. And with Fanor, of course, he brought all of the things that he wanted to protect with him. His Silmarils went in a locked box, and he kept them in this fortress city that he was exiled to. Now, as a side note, I didn't mention this on the previous episode, and... This other creation of Feanor's doesn't really play into too much of what happens in this episode, but in order to, I don't know, sweeten the pot a little bit, paint the picture a little bit more deeply, explain Feanor's genius a little bit more, Feanor also was the creator of the Palantiri. Do you remember the orb that (laughs) Pippin looks into and sees the Eye of Sauron in the movie? Those round circular things that people could see and communicate with at a far distance. Feanor was the creator of those as well. So 
a very, very talented and skilled and magical craftsman. So let's get back to the rest of the elves for a moment, because the scene that has unfolded so far for most of them from their perspective is different than if you are looking at this from Feanor's perspective. And this is something that I'm going to do a lot during this show. I I, I like to take a look at things from different people's perspectives because it gives you a more well-rounded understanding of the way things are. It's, It's very easy for us to look at things from, say, Feanor's perspective because he is kind of a point of view character in the story. But what about the perspective of, say, just a regular commoner, a regular common elf who is witnessing what's going on? Doesn't this appear to be like the aristocracy having kind of a infighting situation going on for the first time in the history of anything? Isn't this kind of above your pay grade? And also, what does this have to do with you? <laughs> it doesn't. Isn't that what that kind of feels like? If you're just one of the regular craftsmen of the elves, somebody who makes your money making things and chopping down trees and maybe being a banker or, you know, something kind of regular. And here you go. And you see this fancy elf prince parading around the streets with these shiny gems showing off the things that he does. And then all of a sudden he's getting all greedy and there's this rumor about his half-brother who might be trying to usurp the throne and then all of a sudden the valor show up and they hold a trial and i'm sure from their from your perspective from the elf the elven community everybody gathers around and they're like what is going to happen what is going what's going on here and then melkor is gone he disappears and to the average elf you're like i thought he was fine. I thought he repented. I thought he was a good guy now, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. Melkor's gone. And the next thing you know, Feanor is banished. Your king goes with him, gives up the kingship, and Fingolfin shows up and says, my loyal subjects, I'm sorry to let you know that my father has gone off with Feanor. I am now the king. What is Fingolfin's speech here? <laughs> right? I have been misunderstood. I have, unfortunately, lies have been spread about me by Melkor that I was coveting these Silmarils and that I was trying to get the kingship. And those that was a lie. And yet, here I am. I'm your king now, and we're going to do the best we can, and I wish my father and my brother the best, and I hope they come back to us. That's a really odd situation to watch unfold. What do you believe? And yet we don't get that perspective in the stories. And I, I like being able to see these things from different angles, because it really enriches the story. So... Just kind of a fun thing to think before we go to the the mid-break. And before the story swings back around to Melkor and the next thing he's planning. Because things are about to... uh, Well, I don't think they had fans back then. Maybe they did. At least not mechanical ones. But whether the mechanical or not, um, something's about to hit the fan. 
So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and thank you so much for listening, for being here, for being part of this community. It is so much fun to have you guys join me every week and be part of this. A big thank you to all of our patrons. We don't have any new patrons who have joined us, at least during the at the point of recording this. I tried to record this a few days out from when these get released, so who knows? Maybe things will change in the next few days. But as of right now, no new patrons, but a big, big, gigantic appreciation. Thank you to all 12 of you. You guys are amazing. Um, I'm I'm having so much fun uh, chatting with you guys in in the comments as well, and um, just wanted to uh, just say again, Spencer, thank you for those questions last week and being able to answer those questions, and for those of you who have posted more questions on the Robots Radio Discord and being part of the community, thank you for being here, and um, it's it's always fun to field some of your questions. I, I'd love to hear more from the rest of you guys, even if you aren't a patron. Feel free to chime in, share some questions, share some answers if you have some thoughts. Um, Let's just keep talking about this stuff because it's awesome. If you are interested in getting more, both ad-free episodes, so more listening time without ads, I guess, or uh, the bonus episodes, which I put out a bonus episode with every episode. And don't worry, you're not missing out on any of the core content. These are like extended discussion episodes where I'm able to answer extra questions. I go into a little bit more of my own my own theorizing, a little bit of extra info, kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff. And if you're curious about this week's patron uh, bonus episode, Arian, one of our patrons, asked a question about the character Gothmog, who is uh, the um, the uh, lieutenant of the Balrogs. It's kind of an interesting uh, detail here. And we're going to be digging into a little bit of that, maybe some other stuff. So that's also available if you're interested. So if you're able to and you'd like to support the show, it's my way of saying thanks for supporting. So here's some extra content. So go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast if you'd like to check that out. And we'd love to have you join us over there and chime in with some of the comments and things going on over in the Patreon community. Um, also, if you'd like to support the show, another wonderful way to do so is by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Five-star ratings with reviews in the future will be read out. I don't have any new ones to read out this week. Also, on Spotify, you can leave a five-star review as well, and that helps a ton. I think last time I looked, we were over 75 star reviews. (laughs) 
just you guys are amazing that number uh, holy crap guys thank you to everybody you guys are so positive this community is awesome i really appreciate everyone i'm not going to take any more of your time here in the middle of the show let's get on with the uh well the stuff hitting the fan we'll <laughs> we'll be right back So we have to paint the picture for this next bit to really make sense. Some time has gone by. Feanor has been in exile. Melkor has been who knows where off the grid. And out of nowhere, Melkor shows up in Ferminos. Comes right directly to Feanor. I mean, talk about, I don't know if this is brave or folly, but walks right up to Feanor. And basically starts out with a conversation feigning that he is on Feanor's side. And the conversation went something like, it really is unfair how the Valar treated you. They were so unjust. And Feanor is not an idiot. He knows, he knows that Melkor is trying to play him here. And then Feanor realizes why come out of the darkness now to his home? Melkor is after the Silmarils. Melkor has figured out where they are and he's coming directly for them. And the thing here about Melkor is we have to understand that the Melkor of the beginning of time, the one who was leveling mountains is no longer the same Melkor that's walking around in front of Feanor here. That Melkor gave a lot of his energy into the world in order to shape it, in order to corrupt the creatures that walked around. This Melkor at this time wouldn't be able to say upend the continent in order to lay claim to these Silmarils. So he has to be more clever about this. And Feanor knows this. Now, that doesn't mean that Melkor isn't extremely powerful and could probably smite Feanor right here if he wanted to, and if Melkor or if uh, Feanor wasn't prepared and armed to defend himself. But again, the elves of the early ages and the beginning of time and the ones who have stood at the trees are also extremely powerful. So Feanor may have been able to stand toe to toe, at least for a time with Melkor until some reinforcements may have been able to show up. Who knows for sure. And we may get some more clarity on that in the next few weeks. We'll have to see, but, um, Feanor tells Melkor to leave. And this does not go how Melkor wanted. And Melkor leaves in a rage. He's just burning with anger. He thought he could manipulate Feanor and find his way to the Silmarils and, and steal them or take them. But it doesn't go that way. Or maybe you've just convinced Feanor to 
cooperate with him long enough so that he could get close enough to them and eventually in time convince him that he could keep them safe for him or something like that, right? Those kinds of things. It doesn't work that way. And Fanor doesn't really think too much of this. He's like, yeah, that's Melkor. That's what he's, what he's going to do. But Finway's wiser in some ways than Feanor is. And Finway's kind of like, okay, this is a big deal. <laughs> like, we need to go to the Valar. Because for Melkor to come out of the darkness right now and attempt this, there's something going on. And that was probably the right move. And the Valar, again, send out searches for him. Hunting parties. Tolkis, ready, ready to lay the smack down again on Melkor, but cannot find him. He's too wily. He knows the dark places of the world too well and evades them for seven more years of the trees, which is like 70 years in actual regular hour time. And again, disappears because Melkor's plan doesn't go the way he expects it. And one of the things that we constantly learn about dark evil lords is that they're able to bide their time. And so he waits. And we know from the stories that he heads south down to the bottom side of the continent of Valinor. And when he's down there, this is the moment where he makes friends with a creature who has taken the guise of a large spider, Ungoliant, or Ungoliant. I, I said it Ungoliant before. I think I think that was a uh, an echo of the teenage version of my brain when I first read it, but Ungoliant, I think, is probably the right pronunciation. And this creature may very well be the same creature or one of the creatures that he came across out in the darkness so long ago, making its way into Arda on its own. And while he's biding his time, he's also realizing that he's alone. There are elves, there are Valar, and then there's him. And if he's going to accomplish what he needs to do, he's going to need some help here. And Ungoliant is a strange ally. She's the closest thing we get to kind of like an elder god, a Lovecraftian type monster from the outer darkness that's always hungry. And so after seven years, the Valar decide to do something. They decide, you know what, we need to try to make things better. Let's temporarily put aside this exile thing. Let's bring the elves back together. Let's try to reunite everyone. Let's have a feast, a time for healing, because that's what we're all about. Let's bring all the elves back in. We'll have a lot of food. We'll have light. We'll have laughter. A time for peace and healing. And they invite everyone. Feanor, Finway, the rest of the elven community, all of the Valar. 
to this feast. And guess who doesn't show up? No, not Feanor. He goes. But Finway decides not to come because the exile is only temporarily revoked. And so he stays back. But Feanor goes. Fingolfin is there. And in the spirit of the feast, he extends his hand to his half-brother and openly in front of everyone recognizes Feanor's place as the eldest, as Finway's firstborn son. The thing that Feanor was most concerned about, Fingolfin says, you are the eldest son. I am the second. Basically, you don't have to worry about me trying to usurp your place. That's not what I wanted to begin with. Can we put this all beside us? And this moment would have been beautiful. A moment of true reconciliation. And potentially would have brought the elves back together. Except that Melkor knew that everybody was away at the time. And it was the perfect time for him, an Ungoliant, to sneak back into Valinor, up to the trees. An Ungoliant was hungry. And Melkor may not have been able to, well, destroy the trees on his own. But Ungoliant could. She was, in some way, darkness itself, all-consuming. And she bit into the trees and started eating the sap from the trees themselves. And as she ate, she became larger and she grew enormous in size. And the lights went out across Valinor and immediately everybody knew something was wrong. And this set off everyone, the Valar, the elves. Nothing like this had happened before. The trees don't go out. One of them waxes, the other wanes. One wanes, the other waxes. They both don't wane and wax together. And they both never really go out. And during the chaos, they use that as a moment to make their way to Ferminos, where Melkor was able to steal the Silmarils. And then they escaped north, up through the cold ice, a place called the Hilkaraxe, the grinding ice. And they made their way out of Valinor itself, up through the connecting ice, all the way back into Beleriand in Middle-earth. And do you remember what was up in the north? His old fortresses, Utumno. His old servants, people like Sauron who had evaded capture, the Balrogs, the orcs that were still out in the wild. And the only thing that was left of the light of the trees were in those three Silmarils. 
and Ungoliant wanted to consume them as well. And on this trip out and on this thieving of these Silmarils, they not only stole the Silmarils, but many other gems, many other things. But Melkor would not let Ungoliant have those three gems. In fact, he became so afraid that she was becoming powerful that he he let her eat everything else except for the Silmarils. Her darkness, it is said, was so all-encompassing that that's how they escaped. It covered their escape. They couldn't be followed because her darkness obscured the light of just anybody being able to follow them. This this imagery is amazing when you try to picture what it must have been like. In fact, she was so powerful that by the time they got to where they were going and Melkor had to keep kind of chaining her along with these lies about what else he would give her when they got to their destination that eventually she demanded the Silmarils and he would not give them to her. And she had become so powerful that she attacked him. And it was only because of the Balrogs that were in the dungeons of his fortress that they had arrived at that were able to awaken and help protect him that he survived. And that's when she fleed. And we'll talk about that another time. But all of this is terrible. And of course, all of this is very upsetting to Feanor. He loses the Silmarils. And on top of this, on their way out, um, Ungoliant has like poisoned the waters and they've destroyed more than just what I described right here. So much of it was very, very terrible. But upon Feanor making his way back to his home, he finds the body of his father. While everyone else was panicking at the feast due to the lights of the trees going out, and Melkor and Ungoliant headed to Ferminos in order to take the Silmarils, Finway was the one who stayed back, and he saw them coming, and he alone stood at the front door and tried to stop them. Can you imagine single-handedly trying to take on Melkor and Ungoliant in order to protect your home and some of the most prized possessions the elves had ever made? And can you imagine Feanor, spirit of fire, the burning anger and sorrow inside when he discovered his father's body and what he must have gone through trying to defend their home. And then his Silmarils taken. From this point on, nothing matters more to Feanor than revenge. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio 
or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.